0: Welcome to Rich Conversations. Ocean Rescue Alliance founder Shelby Thomas returns to the podcast. She's a marine biologist, and her first appearance was episode 182, where we talked about the health of our oceans and coral reef systems. This episode is, is special and unique and awesome. we recorded it in Miami at the Frost Museum of Science. And uh, I love this place. In the last year, I've gone there four times, and uh, my membership at the Field Museum allows me reciprocity at other science museums across the country, so uh, take advantage of that. But in this episode, we discuss Earth Day, and she shares her progress of restoring coral reef systems in Florida and how she's embraced art and technology and other like 21st century innovative ways of thinking and using tools to implement a sustainable revenue model that fosters both connecting in collaboration with other organizations working for good this is a fun episode i'm excited to share it with you you can follow shelby on instagram at shelby thomas 21 and at ocean rescue alliance let's begin Welcome to Rich Conversations. This is This is going to be such a fun episode. As you can see, our environment is quite different than what you're probably used to seeing. We are at the Frost Museum of Science and we're in Miami. This is this is pretty awesome. We have Shelby Thomas here, who's a marine biologist. This is her second appearance on the show. She was on episode 182 before and we we talked about all things ocean and conservation and coral reefs and uh, it's cool to connect with you in person and be be here. I, I love it.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a beautiful day out, so.
0: Yeah, it's uh,
1: <laughs> it's early
0: morning, or it's starting to be late morning, and the sun, the sun in Miami, it gets hot really quick.
1: Love the heat, so <laughs> it doesn't bother me. You're used to it. For me,
0: I'm like, starting to sweat already, Getting and, uh, and uh, yeah, the sun is hot, but we're here, and this is... This is so cool. Well, why don't you reintroduce yourself for yeah. uh, listeners and viewers?
1: Yeah. So thanks for the introduction. My name is Shelby Thomas. I'm a marine biologist. I kind of talked to you last time on the, on the show about my nonprofit organization, Ocean Rescue Alliance. I'm the founder and CEO. Uh, we're a marine conservation and restoration nonprofit. Primarily here in South Florida, we focus on using artificial structure for different biological purposes building artificial reefs that create fish habitat but also provide opportunities to outplant different species like corals, oysters, and mangroves. So really facilitating, creating an, a restoring ecosystem. But one unique thing that we do is implement art to really connect the public back to the ocean, creating a dive destination that can really connect community and culture. And these holistic sites can really help not only the marine environment but really integrate the shift in perspective of the community and their relationship with the ocean. So. We're really excited to be expanding more projects throughout Florida, but also internationally now. So I'm excited right. to share some of that with you here in a bit.
0: That's exciting. You, you're you a pretty busy person. And this last weekend you were at a number of different events uh, with the Ocean Rescue Alliance. Uh, can you share kind of what those events were and, and what you guys were doing there?
1: Yeah, so it was just Earth Day, which is... Uh, one of my one of my favorite days. Um, I think every day is Earth Day, though, right? So it should um, be right. It should be
0: like every day should be Valentine's Day, and, and you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> thankful, Thanksgiving, thanks, thankful. But you
1: know, in particular for Earth, I mean, we have so much to appreciate and be thankful for. from nature and we really rely on it right it's it's the of our whole existence we we need to really be thankful for our oceans and our earth but all of the events we had uh, really tailored around um, celebrating the ocean um, on Earth Day still and you know often people can sometimes be disconnected because it's a blanket of water so we were spreading a lot of awareness had a few different event outreach events um, one with Baker's Cay in Key Largo Florida where we've done some coral restoration effort in the past and that hotel specifically we got to engage with some of the guests and uh, bring awareness of those resources that are right off off the shore the really fun thing about the, some of those events a lot of international people were there so from the uk and really? uh, that never really got to see coral reefs so that was really exciting to engage with the different guests that hadn't really been exposed to some of these resources
0: so what what is the like history of earth day and like you i mean you probably know a lot more about it than i do but like how did that come about and like what what does it mean to you in a way?
1: Yeah, so I'm not as keen with how each day was established. I think there's almost a, every day is something. Now I think now. you can just apply
0: online. <laughs> <laughs> you got it.
1: You can create a day. But I, what Earth Day means to me is really just celebrating the connection with nature itself and um, having that appreciation for it. I mean, I think we disp- depend so much on nature, and that interconnectedness is really important to not only celebrate but realize every day. Um, sometimes as we're growing as communities, we can sometimes get a little disconnected. And I think having days like this gives us a, a moment of time to just pause and reconnect. And so that's that's kind of what it means to me is being able to connect back to nature, um, but also from an organizational standpoint, express that
0: importance. So with you, you do certain things with the organization for Earth Day. Do you personally, on an individual level, do anything... Um, every year to celebrate Earth Day.
1: So we do most most outreach events with my organization for Ocean Day and Earth Day. Ocean Day is coming up in June, so uh, we're okay, excited so the ocean to celebrate gets its that. Own, its the ocean has well. its own yeah. day. Um, but personally, I you know I always try to take time more more than once a year to reconnect to nature. I I do yoga and meditation a lot, and I think a, a lot of things in the environment and within restoration itself can be very meditative. Diving and Kind of bringing that focal point to our resources and frustration.
0: Yeah. And my dad uh, plants, he'll plant trees on Earth Day every year. Yeah. He had this one, uh, so in our backyard, this was like 20, 25 years ago. He planted these oak trees apart and then he said that uh, he's planted them there so then when he retires, they should be strong enough where you could tie like a hammock in between uh, yeah. so we bought him for Father's awesome. Day uh, a year or two ago we got him a, a hammock because now they're like fully there and he's retired so it's it's kind of cool oh I love that
1: I, I think you know I, I I would love to start a tradition where we could actually do some planting um, you know we of course with my organization be mostly ocean conservation work I think normally Earth Day is centered around nature as in terrestrial plants and not as much ocean environment but of course our earth is mostly water so i think we've always highlighted that aspect of how we're so fundamentally relying on the ocean itself for our weather and oxygen provides more oxygen than our trees do so a lot of people don't realize how valuable and critical to life the ocean is so i love bringing that tie back for earth day but i would love to do some you know the tree garden kind of steal the and,
0: thunder a little bit because you can see them grow. They're physical. Yeah. The ocean just very, changes your, all the time. In your you face, know? kind of. Yeah.
1: You're around it more often, and not everybody's as immersed into the ocean, but it's extremely important still. Um, so yeah. I, I, I still would like to get a little more connected with earth and and planting. I have less of a green thumb than I'd like to to, <laughs> to admit. <laughs> Um, maybe it's because I'm, I'm really busy and watering plants is sometimes hard, but
0: it's very <laughs> but I, I take care really of my is. corals
1: in the ocean, so and, and my tanks at home, so um, it's good. <laughs>
0: I have a I have a question for later. Yeah. About your fish, but uh, before we get to that, well, the last time we talked it was December. What uh, and it's April now. In that time. Are there is there anything in particular that stands out to you as like uh significant milestones and what you're doing and like things that you're proud of
1: yeah ab- absolutely i think we've we've been making a lot of progress lately and especially uh, really excited that now things are a little bit loosening up with with covid i know that's impacted a lot of communities in different ways but we've been able to get a lot more uh, community engagement now Um, from that, Um, and we've been doing a lot of different dive operations and outplanting corals and doing monitoring projects on our reefs, um, specifically in West Palm Beach, Florida, off of Riviera Beach. We have our A Thousand Mermaids Project site, and we've been conducting research there on different structures and recruiting different fishery species uh, to them, which ones perform the best. So we've gotten a lot of really phenomenal uh, research done. We're doing actually a a coral thermal tolerance study, and what that means is uh, most corals, actually If you didn't know, that our Florida coral reef is the third largest reef in the world.
0: You mentioned that last episode.
1: And a lot of people don't know that. Um, And our reef track stretches from the Keys all the way up to Palm Beach County. Um, So that's quite northward. And we don't have as many of those stony corals that are actually endangered, you know, more in South Florida uh, and the northern reef track. But we're looking into the feasibility of can they grow there, can we be translocating reefs to also help preserve the species and expand the diversity and and range of these corals, which historically were there. So we're doing an awesome study with the University of Miami. We also work here with Frost a lot as well. Uh, But this project, we're actually looking at if these corals will survive these a little bit colder temperatures in Palm Beach County. And that's going to lead to so much research down the road that can give us a more expansion of coral nurseries and doing species restoration. Uh, So that's one of them. Um, The other really exciting news, we're getting ready to deploy another reef with the City of Hollywood. And that's actually one of the first cities that's actually really fully backing one of these projects. They're helping fund the construction very creatively um, through Art in Public Places. So it's a way that doesn't impact um, tax dollars. Uh, it's really generated from different business development. So it's a unique unique way to fund some of the work. And we'll have some different uh, land art that will bring awareness. Uh, that reef that we're looking okay. at potentially June, end of June, uh, beginning of July to deploy it.
0: Wow. So you- <laughs> You're a you're a busy person. You're uh you're doing so much. I think the question I'm wondering and, and all of us listening and, and watching is like how do you stay balanced and energized? So you know, like like yesterday you were in Fort Lauderdale and then today you're in Miami and then after this recording you're going to the University of Miami and we're here at the Frost Museum. Like how do you how do you balance all the things that you're doing, and, and also still have the energy to drive that motivation of your mission?
1: Yeah, you know, that's, that's a great question, I get asked that a lot, and I think <laughs> a lot of that relies because I am truly passionate and love what I do. Yeah. Um, it doesn't seem like a job to me. Um, I think, you know, I've got, given a lot of thought to passion and purpose, and I I've, you know feel that it's really my purpose to not only bring awareness to some of these resources, but figure out ways to scale restoration more sustainably versus relying on, on grants. So I think just having that passion and love really gives me the the energy to move forward. It can be tough sometimes, like yesterday was a little tough, uh, you know, being at the Fort Lauderdale event all day, but also meeting so many people that, you know, you having that direct impact, even kids. Uh, yep. Yesterday, we had some little girls come up and um they were trying to match the coral species and just a little light in their eye when they they found out oh these reefs are right off the water and they're not divers yet they're like we can't wait, wait to dive we want to learn to dive and yeah. getting to learn about it and this is right in their backyard um so providing that opportunity to to connect other people to this love um yeah. really motivates me as well because i i think sometimes that can be kind of lost we'll have you know multi-million dollar properties on the beach line, but people don't really realize or connect what's right off of that property or yeah. hotel. So um, I'd say say my love for for this work really helps inspire and motivate me.
0: It's cool to see kids interested in science, isn't it? Like I was, uh, we're at the Frost Museum and I was here last, last week, a few days ago, and just watching kids interact with the displays and the exhibits, uh, it's really cool and it's also interesting too to see the parents they're like all right come on you know this is the parents at your event are probably like, okay the coral's great yeah that's awesome but like the kids are so full of imagination and wonder it's cool to see that isn't yeah. it yeah
1: oh yeah and i i love it i think the the awesome thing about kids is they're so genuinely curious and they're yeah. I, I i've watched things you know sometimes as kids are like little scientists, they're testing out things and you know, everybody has different parenting styles, but, um, you know, sometimes it's kind of brought out and it kind of leaves as you get, go to adulthood and we're, yeah. we're getting faced with these realities. But I think it's so important to keep some of that curious nature of kind of experimenting with things. And yeah. that's one thing, especially with my organization, you know, as a scientist, why I fell in love with art was its ability to bring awareness and connect people. Um, we sometimes get very lost and diverted on our tracks yeah. and so with my organization within the Alliance the goal is really to connect different disciplines to really accelerate innovation and uh, We're doing a lot of that in South Florida, you know working with museums to also compete really Show and demonstrate education and outreach, but further academia to do research and the more and more that we collaborate yeah. I think the more we can do
0: so you mentioned like creating opportunities yourself, not having to rely on like grants and things like that. Uh, can you elaborate on that a little more in like different ways that you go about like generating like revenue to do these types of things?
1: Yeah, so traditionally a lot of the research work I've done in the past is based off of grants. And unfortunately, you know, there's not that much funding for all the things that we should be doing. Uh, so developing sustainable business models is very important i think in any type of restoration field whether that's terrestrial preserving any species making it into a feasible economic model that will support that work without relying on grants Um, and it also creates a non-competitive space so how i've been really integrating that into ocean rescue Alliance is utilizing art provides ecotourism opportunity that actually can provide an roi for hotels cities and counties because now they have a dive destination that will generate bringing people to the site bringing awareness but that actually then helps fund doing the restoration work that we're doing at the sites as well uh, developing programs that integrate the community where instead of let's say fishing we can bring guests to outplant corals yeah. or bring the community to outplant and restore that and that creates this then story that they might want to come see the coral in two or three years yeah and it creates this this beautiful relationship kids testing their voice
0: so there's <laughs> If we got these loud if you can hear it so there's some kids <laughs> testing there's this uh, display or this interactive exhibit where you can uh, talk into something and then like feed away that other people can hear it so it's uh, kids kids shouting into something right now experiments experiments full of that's curiosity good. that's good uh,
1: um But yeah, so on on that funding bridge, we really use art, um, developing programs that can integrate community, uh, but also we're now also doing celebratory and memorial reefs, plaques, and that's another way to connect, but also fund doing restoration um, versus traditional methods. Uh, Another unique one that we've been getting into a little bit more recently is on the the tech community side, where we're doing different um, NFTs, non-fungible tokens that are ocean conservation art pieces that actually directly connect to funding restoration work. So every single NFT comes with something that's very tangible, that's done with it, whether that's creating a reef or outplanting coral, or even where people can come dive with us and yeah. come on one of the dives to experience it themselves. So those are some of the avenues, but I think we'll have so much opportunity to expand.
0: Yeah, talk, talk more about the, the NFTs. This is something uh, new for a lot of people and uh, exciting for a lot of people that, that get more and more into it and educated about it. Uh, what's your experience been like, working in the tech field and how it can help our communities in the future?
1: So I think it's incredible, right? We're seeing this big boom in cryptocurrency and NFTs and it's uh, whether people do understand it or not, you're yeah. hearing about it, right? I think it has, we're definitely moving to this kind of digital realm, advancing technology at rapid rates, which is incredible, but we can use that technology for a lot of good. And so there's a lot of funding that's getting raised, um, you know, now turning to NFTs where we can actually do purposeful projects. And so we like to say we we do art for impact. So everything that we do regarding art and NFTs has some kind of impact and restoration value. And so what we do is these ocean conservation pieces with different artists that can really link to a specific project. Yeah. And that also helps back it and support it in the future. So it's regenerative. Um, and I, I think the, the future of this also turns into, I don't know if you've heard of ESG, impact environmental social governance, is mm. becoming a big part of investment strategies where they're, they're creating this accountability for businesses, which is great, uh, to support some type of sector of Of that, of course, we're environmental, but we also have this social component where we're connecting communities and we're figuring out how to really tie that in the organization now. But we have so many ESG impact abilities with our our artificial reefs, too. Um, Aside that we might not have talked about before, but uh, coastal resilience and erosion, of course, sea level rise is affecting everywhere, all over the world, every coastline. Uh, we have structures that we've been developing and also working with the University of Miami on, they have amazing engineers that are developing breakwater structures that help reduce wave energy. And like what natural reefs do, they help dissipate that energy from eroding the shore. If you're not familiar with it, at pretty much every coastline all the way up to New York does beach renourishment. And what that is, it may sound a little harmless, but they dredge sand offshore and dump it onshore, and just to maintain the beach line. But it's honestly a Band-Aid. It's not the most long-term sustainable solution. It's affected a lot of our beaches in Florida and reefs because that sediment goes right back out and smothers some of the reef systems. It actually directly hinders restoration progress mm-hmm. in certain areas because there's federal regulations on you can't be working with endangered species if you're conducting bee tree nourishment because they know yeah. they'll get smothered. So it's kind of like a double-edged sword where we're not really progressing with restoration Because we're still, you know, trying to maintain the beach for tourism. So, one thing we're trying to shift as an organization that'll be scalable up the coastline, but also for developing countries that really need this, is to design reefs that help protect against coastal erosion, provide fish habitat, and enable restoration. And that itself is so scalable, and I think that we'll eventually be able to get federal and state funding to do these structures because they're a lot investing into coastal infrastructure. Will provide a more sustainable long term solution and all these yeah. other added ben- benefits.
0: So, the last time we talked, um, my understanding of some of the things you're doing with the coral reefs is you're using uh, what you called gray materials, which are like your. You're like, like green materials, but also like. Um, concrete. Concrete, and different. And, like, things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Where. You can create these materials and structures then that can create like a or uh like rebirth the the coral system right Mm -hmm. um and i guess two (laughs) things two things i'm trying to say so you're what you're saying with the wave impact is build something more off the coast so that it uh, diminishes the impact coming in on these waves that they have on, say, the beaches and the environment mm-hmm. here. Um, do you see that with as far as climate change goes? Do you see that as like a huge aspect of it?
1: Yeah, I think it's going to be a, an incredibly useful tool. I think the artificial structure space, artificial reef space, is well. We're really wanting to help evolve that historically artificial reef programs have been honestly trash of land, construction, pilings, debris, ships, boulders, yeah. culverts that looks and acts nothing like a natural reef system. So one unique thing about ocean rescue lines is we design reefs to mimic natural reef, geology and structure because fundamentally, and I, I think I talked about this with you before, we're typically reactive to things in life as humans. Yeah. and we need to be proactive and preventative. We can't wait for our reefs to die to wonder where our fish are gonna go. And yeah. we're losing that critical microhabitat that supports fisheries. Over 25% of all the fish that we eat has some point of their life on the reef. Yeah. And it supports so many other aspects of livelihoods and ecosystem services. So we can't risk waiting for those species to collapse to then lose more species. So we're trying to be really proactive in designing reefs with intention which also includes the coastal resilience component. If we can invest into doing these reefs offshore, and this is actually a nearshore environment. So we're talking about 15 to 30 feet, where we're okay. maximizing reducing that energy. That's a more long-term solution rather than dumping sand that goes back yeah. out. but it has so many more benefits, because now we're creating long-term habitat for fish. Now we're creating a site that we can outplant corals, oysters or mangroves, and that brings in further life. Um, implementing the art on top of that as a separate component, not necessarily the same structure because they're different designs for specific purposes, but then the art connects the community, creates a destination to dive yeah. um, and, and gives a unique perspective. I think um, you know, the ex- exciting avenue of art is we can be very in-depth to connect a culture. So I, I mentioned, I think before, that we are doing the Mayan Reef fundraising for that in Mexico mm-hmm. to do a serpent deity. And that's just a, a beautiful project, I think, to connect further to Mayan culture and bring awareness and honor the community of what th- their wants and needs are for that yeah. site. But also creating a, a important restoration site that also creates a new job for the community to restore that resource for its longevity. And I think we can do that all throughout Florida. Um, you know, we have our Thousand Mermaids project, but we haven't gotten a chance to do something that's culturally relevant yet. Okay. And it's great, like a lot of the cities are interested in the mermaids, but yeah. I think we can be so in-depth and intentional with the art as well, opening it up to the community. What would the community like to see? We should do some call to artists. Uh, we're also working with another artificial reef project called Reefline, which uh, coming here, I'm their scientific director. and working with them to you know do different scientific modifications and continue doing research at the site as well. But they're more of a fine art, um, artificial reef that's going to be about eight miles off of South Beach. So that's really exciting and we'll have to talk on that more um, later too. But you know there's just this immense opportunity to create and help restore environments. And so I'm really excited and um, that's why I really love that Art Avenue because it gives us such a unique perspective yeah. to connect with people on different levels. Um, what might be interesting to you or, you know, meaningful and and have a statement on your life might be a little different versus mine if you went to dive sites. So um, I know that was kind of a long-ended wraparound, but um, so doing these holistic sites with these structures having different purposes, I think will further give us this opportunity and all the issues with climate change to be adaptive and intentional.
0: And the key component of all of this is that you're Finding ways to do these things without having to rely on limited resources that traditionally have, have been the avenue that you would tackle something like this. You're taking a more proactive, innovative approach. Working as working in the oceans and the interconnectedness of the world and the earth with the oceans is that something you like parlayed into a lot of these ideas of working with other disciplines and, and just like people in different fields and this non competitive kind of attitude?
1: So, what got me to really look at developing sustainable models is just really the frustra- frustrations as a scientist. Um, I did oyster restoration for my master's in Apalachicola Bay, um, which has a whole different uh, suite of, you know, environmental stressors on the oyster populations there. A lot of it related to water quality and salinity um, and different diseases, but every environment has different stressors. Um, But specifically for a lot of the projects I've been involved with as a scientist, uh, sometimes it can come from mitigation funds to fund projects where, in my mind, sometimes that's more of a check in the box for companies, um, not necessarily... Are we following through the longevity of this project for a long term? They're more so just kind of doing it. Okay, we did the restoration, that's that. Yeah. And um, I've seen that a lot. And that, that's not to say all projects, um, but it's it's frustrating if you're, you know, here with the intention to help restore the environment. And um, yes, we're getting some of it funded, but it's knowing some of it's not as sustainable um, makes you question, you know, wh- well, what's what's the worth of that?
0: Yeah. Like you said before, like band-aids. Yeah. It's a quick fix.
1: And um, so another point of contention is also there's these, a lot of restoration groups, right? You think that there's hundreds of groups doing restoration in the Florida Keys on our third largest reef. There's about 10, you know, Mm -hmm. there's not that many doing active restoration. And one of the reasons being it's also very competitive for funding. Um, Then it creates this kind of cutthroat environment where you're, hindering collaboration because these each group perspective group has to have some kind of differentiation from each other to be more competitive for that funding and a lot of them don't have the most sustainable models so we work with coral restoration foundation moat as well as the keys marine sanctuary um, keys marine lab in the keys and everyone has a little bit of different um, restoration methods but it's kind of sad to see where certain spaces can directly hinder actually sharing inf- critical yeah. critical information. Yeah. Um, they've been really great about it now. And there's actually a new Florida enactment um, called it's a genetic salvage project where there's preserving species that might be impacted from disease. Because now all these institutions, including Frost and a lot of other ones, are actually housing these corals for the future for spawning and reproduction. So that's become this beautiful kind of state mandated, we're all gonna work together and preserve this, but that's not always the case. And so I see that a lot in not just coral restoration, but other groups where we have this, oh, we're all collaborative, but they're not actually sharing critical information that could help us all grow and and get this work done. Um, So I, with intention in, in Ocean Rescue Alliance was how can we you know, come into this space and not be competitive, but help accelerate and help lift each other up and get more corals out. And so that's where, you know, we don't have our own coral nurseries, but we have plenty of coral nurseries that actually have so much coral, they're having a hard time getting it out. So how can we kind of more industrialize scale outplanting corals at a more rapid rate? And that's where we're working with a lot of different scientists and creating innovation in the artificial structure space, because now we're providing ways to outplant them quicker and supporting that organization, you know, supporting coral restoration still, but yeah. being able to more collaborate. So how can we fill these gaps within restoration? And we're definitely, you know, working on that in the ocean space, but yeah. it's needed everywhere. I mean, that's, it's not just the marine sector. I think there's so much that we can do to, to collaborate.
0: It's like an interesting point too. It's like uh, while well, you're talking about collaboration with coral reefs and within this environment, that can still be applicable to like, any other field you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. and personally like i see with the 21st century and all these capabilities using technology and our connectedness like we should be able to do a lot of cool stuff Mm -hmm. and i think that's kind of the first step is kind of that mindset of like until now we've been kind of working under like uh, a model in our minds of like individuality and competitiveness when, like, the more we work together, the more problems we can solve.
1: Exactly. And it
0: just makes more sense.
1: A hundred percent. I think, you know, part of that's also within, like, the egos of, of people, right? We we get this complex of, of people that are experts in their field and amazing, right? But where then they'll shut down, you know, ideas from someone that's completely from another discipline. Like, you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. But I love getting people together that have nothing to do with the ocean and um, I think so many unique ideas can be spurred from putting people from each perspective discipline in the same room and solving those issues I'm honestly a a firm believer of we can solve majority of all the problems that we have today with more effective collaboration and intention with putting people together that that can do the job we have to let go of some of this this ego (laughs) and actually work together and so I, I think it could be, you know, beautiful. And I think we're, we're doing a good example of that in the ocean space. But it, it's still, you know, there's lots of fundamentals. There's politics and so many things that can have a lot of branches yeah. out. But it's, it's, it's progress. It's, pro- it's, it's progress. It takes time. Um, and it, it takes conversation. So,
0: yeah. Rich conversations.
1: <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh,
0: <laughs> well, that's a great note to, like, uh, transition into... like a more personal level what what adventures you have coming up i'm really curious you're an adventurous person (laughs) like where where are you headed next what are you excited about
1: oh yeah excited excited about a lot um i mean definitely we have a lot of events coming up here in south florida so i'll I'll be around here in particular for the reef deployment we're doing some different coral restoration projects we're also getting to do some um oyster restoration and mangrove pilots potentially on the west coast of florida so really excited to expand out a little more. Um, including I don't did I ever tell you about the Champa Bay reef idea?
0: You did, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So
1: we're we're hoping to get some more progression on that too. So I'm really excited. But in terms of a uh, other adventures that uh, we I'm going to be going to Germany in July for the International Coral Reef Symposium. Really. So I'm extremely excited about that cuz traditionally it's held every 4 years. Okay. And it's you know all the the top scientists in the coral restoration space and policy makers. So we get to all come to the the same focal point and discuss, you know, these pressing issues. So I'm excited to share some more of our our innovation and hopefully connect to do this more at an international level. Uh, We have a few projects going in Australia just on natural reefs, but I would like to implement these projects elsewhere that can are are more solely needed. Um, you know, we're doing a few throughout the Caribbean, but we haven't actually deployed any reefs yet. And I think that there's, so much potential so i'm really looking forward to that and then I'll, i'm gonna add a little some days to explore around there too, Germany, austria yeah. and go to croatia as well so i'm very excited for that because haven't been over there in a, in a
0: while <laughs> that is that's really cool i love too that you can use like uh you can parlay you know what you're doing and then also travel and see the the yeah. sites over there as well
1: yeah absolutely i, I think I, I you know would be blessed because i could go to a lot of beautiful locations um through the work but um i, I think I, one of my favorite things about going to new places too is just really getting connected with the community and culture i yeah. just love experience like the actual localized culture yeah. so um that's been kind of a beautiful journey with working with some of our partners in mexico and um you know i've gotten to dive some cenotes which i'm not sure if you know what what that is, It's similar to our Florida Springs I don't know system. Yeah. Okay. But they have such a cultural relevance in Mexico really? um, to their life and um, beautiful stories. So I just, you know, love getting into the deep At least history. the ones with the, like the caves and stuff? Yes. Oh, yeah. nice. Yeah, I got to dive a, um, called Angelita and it's a cenote okay. at 120 feet. They have a gas sulfur layer and it, it's like kind of one of the most eerie dives that you've kind of got going but it's like another world. And beneath that, it's complete darkness, but it goes, like, another 300 feet. Really? You do a tech dive, and you can actually see um, Mayan remains. Like, a lot of the cenotes were used for sacrifices or different rituals. Really? So it's it's very, um, you know, intense, and you get to experience culture in nature in an immersive environment, and it's... I love it. <laughs> so I, I I like diving into things like that, literally. Throughout the world, because we have, you know, in Australia, I was fortunate to go one time. Would love to go back, but they have the aboriginals that have so much culture and community too. Um, So I'm, I'm excited to to check those out. Future exploration. Yeah. So when
0: you're when you're on that, can you do you have a camera that you take with you and take photos?
1: Yeah, I have a a GoPro. I I don't have a fancy rig, (laughs) but you know, I think from the the imagery piece is funny, I was just talking about this the other day, visuals and, and videos can have such an impact on communicating, like you know, the no straws movement, stemmed from that sea turtle picture yeah. of the straw being in the sea turtle's nose. And so using visuals in a very intentional way is, is important and um, we don't have as much, we have a, a few awesome um, videographers and photographers we right. work with that have actually volunteered their time and um, really helped document some of the work that we're doing. but i'm looking forward to kind of evolving that more and even you know through the travels um being able to show that can bring awareness to people that might not you know might not dive at all uh, might not get to experience that and then even
0: what you were saying before like if you're having art installations in the water which brings ecotourism then all of a sudden people if they're diving and looking at the art they're gonna bring a camera with them and they're gonna take photos of that and then that will help bring awareness about what you're doing and just overall the issues yeah yeah
1: yeah exactly and i think the most beautiful thing about the underwater art too is like nature's the artist too so every time you come back it's different um and then maybe you seeing a specific coral that recruited and grew there might have a a a moment right that you're like this is amazing um i mean one of our, our mermaid statues was really awesome obviously we didn't orchestrate this we didn't outplant any coral on that site until actually this past um December, okay. um, just from permit-wise, because it's up north. But a lot of things have grown on it. We actually had one of the mermaids had a sponge encrusting bra, and okay. a little bit on the head, like a like a hairpiece. And it's just funny because nature decorated it like that, and it looks it looks so beautiful. <laughs> and we've had a lot of people take pictures of it because it's a it's really vibrant yeah. red. And we of course didn't do that; nature did. So I think it can impact people in so many different ways. Yeah. And um i'm looking forward to the new art initiatives that we can do
0: yeah that's awesome (laughs) uh do you have are there like three musical artists that have influenced your outlook on life
1: on life ooh, yeah um i i really love music so i i typically will play it like all the time when i wake up it's Different genres, depending on what I'm doing, but um, some that I've been into recently—I might have said this last time too—Rufus um, De Sol and Nora Pure is kind of a mix. They they'll bring in some very like nature sounds, but it's still not necessarily full house. Still has words, but it's okay. Yeah, it's very. Um, I don't know. I definitely connect with it. Um, kind of has a I lot of we songs talked about, about life. Some of stuff left. Last, last yeah, yeah, I would say those um, definitely. Um, I think. Yeah. Rufus
0: DeSol, is that, uh, it's African, right? It's like an African No, um, it's
1: like three guys. Um, I don't know where they're from, actually. I think they're from the UK. Um, and they'll be in Florida in October, so I'm hoping to, to see them. But they did actually a, a, a festival in Mexico where we, we have a project on, on the beach. I'm like, that would be okay. great. But, um, yeah, I'd say, say those two.
0: Yeah. What about you? Um... Beatles for sure are number one. Yeah. Uh, and not just like listening to the Beatles, but like studying them in a way. Mm-hmm. Like here, what I took away from the Beatles and listening to the Beatles, we would we would be driving back from church. Uh, with my mom and the like oldie station would be on and there's like this Beatles brunch and then so they have all these interviews and they're playing all of that and uh so that that was like more of my awareness of the group but then you start listening to it and I love the sound and then also the lyrics but mainly the story about them is like They just came from this, like, blue-collar background in Liverpool. And they ended up being the greatest band of all time. And it's like, no one, no one's really going to argue that they're not because of so many different things. And it's mm-hmm. like, it reminded me of my own background in, like, growing up on a farm in Wisconsin. It's like, well, if the Beatles could just, you know, just have a background like that, why can't, why can't I do great things in my life? You know, yeah. so I then just listening and learning and kind of like studying how they did things and like the innovation and pushing boundaries yeah Uh, the Beatles for sure the other the other two it's a little harder to distinguish Um, so if I don't have an answer at the top of my head then it probably hasn't been as impactful but I what I find like people our age whenever you ask a question, like, what music do you listen to, everybody says, oh, I listen to all different genres. Mm -hmm. you find that, too?
1: Somewhat. I think sometimes people will say that, because sometimes I feel like now a lot of music's not necessarily similar, but some of it, like, morphs together. You know, I've heard, like, country and rap coming together. I've heard everybody's bringing in a little bit of jazz or, like, the idiom. Some genres, I'm like, I don't even know how to explain this genre. (laughs) But, yeah, I, I would say that, I mean... I'm also, I don't think everyone's as into some of the older genres. Um, You know, I still really love and appreciate, like, Frank Sinatra. I love Frank Sinatra. And some of just the older, you know, also the lyrics of it. Just some of, like, it's insane to look at the time periods and the changes of, um, I think we sometimes, even through music, you know, lose the, you know, they talk about just these simple things in life, um, you know, and um, appreciating different things from uh, perspectives. I mean, you know. Frank Sinatra's got like the world on a string song, yeah. and um, you know I just think there's such a beauty with you know some of the lyrics from some of the older music that yeah. sometimes isn't fully in some of the newer stuff, <laughs> you know. Um, you don't say. Yeah, but I mean that's why I, I think I, I connect a lot with the Rufus the soul because it also um, talks like kind of a lot about life and nature and um, that resonates with me. So
0: now we've we've been talking about how. We have these capabilities now with technology and we're in the 21st century collaboration. Do you ever think that we have access to like every song ever recorded on our phones? We can listen to it, like you said, you listen to it all day and everything, but at, this is a very recent thing that humans been able to experience. Whereas mm-hmm. even if we go back before 1900, the world is silent. You know, in order to hear music, you have to go to the town hall where there's a celebration maybe once a month, maybe once a year, a festival. And it was, what would that feeling be like having experienced the world in silence? And mm-hmm. then you're together, but you're only listening to a certain type of music because it's influenced by your geography and your Community culture, culture. that streamed through. Yeah, And now it's like you can anything <laughs> you can listen to. Yeah, you can listen to literally anything, and uh, yeah. it's just something I, that's interesting to me. Yeah,
1: right? I think it's kind of like the whole, and I, I don't know if it's necessarily called this, but like the the beauty and disaster side of of things and social media, right? You can share things instantly, but it also can be too obsessive, right? Um, so there's a fine tuned balance between everything. Um, I think the awesome thing on the music side is that. You you could be listening to something that's, you know, African culture, and um, it it has a different feeling, and and you can really feel the culture through the the music. And, yeah, everybody has different um, kind of, I guess, calls for what's meaningful to them. You know, maybe it's like a visual or, you know, doing things or touch or sound, smell. Um, I I think music's a a beautiful way to, like an art that can really influence culture and community. I mean, it, we, we've we used art in all forms to um, get through all kinds of things throughout generations. Yeah. These different periods so everything evolves. So, we're in a unique spot with everything. I think it's, yeah. it's a blessing to be able to share it. But everything yeah. in moderation, right?
0: <laughs> Including moderation. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes, it's just like a really interesting point in like the human story. Mm-hmm. And... To me it's exciting to see what we'll do and also know that you can empower yourself to literally do whatever you aspire to help out in or like give to the world. You have more tools now than you had before and you can like go do it. Yeah. It's pretty pretty empowering. It is it?
1: empowering. And I think sometimes that's lost, right? Um I always think of it's, it's easy to look at something and say it's difficult, but the, the hardest thing is that just first step yeah, and taking the steps. Um, you know, years, years, um, ago when I even started undergrad or my master's, I wouldn't have thought that I would have started my own organization, uh, in my PhD program or, you know, being through my PhD at almost through my PhD at the age that I am now. Yeah. Um, I think it's just setting, you know, intentions and following through. And I think there's so much empowerment with having so many resources, you know, in this generation that we're in now yeah. um, to do a lot of impactful things. So it's easy uh, its easy to have sometimes this doom and gloom mindset considering a lot of our environmental stressors, but I think the, the beauty in it is we're more equipped now than ever to make rapid change and yeah. very intentionally. Um, I actually got a chance to meet Sylvia Earle, which I'm not sure if you know who she is. Sylvia Earle. Uh, she's one of the most world-known uh, female oceanographers the I think rainforest. she uh,
0: she's in a display over here yes in the, she is I was, she was the first was at the museum the other day and I saw a display on her yeah yes
1: yeah <laughs> so she's very well known um incredible incredible um, female scientist that's really paved the way for a lot of women in science and I got to meet her recently in the last few months and um have din- dinner with her the night after which was amazing and uh, it's just so much you can ask and say and I, when she spoke, she had this interesting viewpoint cause you know, everybody's kind of like, Oh, future kids, so sorry for them. And you know, yeah. it's this kind of negative spin. And she had this very positive statement that actually it's, we're in the best point that we could be in our life. I wish that we were, I was born in this generation because we have so much impact we can make with all the tools that we have. Yeah. Um, so I think just that, um, uh, with everything. So Well, yeah. that's
0: awesome. Let's, let's end on that note because it's such a beautiful way to frame it. And uh, thanks for coming out. This has yeah. been so fun. It's getting much hotter now. The sun's, <laughs> yeah, the sun's coming out more. Y- you're baking and, in well, yeah, the sun my, over my there. northern, the, uh, you know, northern blood can't handle this much longer. So yeah. thanks again. I appreciate it.
1: Yeah, it was wonderful to meet you in person. And welcome yeah. to sunshiny Florida. Thank you. <laughs>
0: and uh, thanks for watching and listening.
1: Yeah.
0: Thanks for listening to Rich Conversations. Again, you can follow Shelby on Instagram at ShelbyThomas21 and at Ocean Rescue Alliance. Have a fantastic day and remember to think about how we're so interconnected with nature and how nature also affects the health of us and also how we can use 21st century tools and innovative thinking to shape the future.